Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Hi, my name is Roger Valsi. I'm a friend of Darren and Samuel. And uh, Darren and I have been movie buddies for seven years, and it's a joy to step into this pulpit and spend the time with you as we continue this series about faith. You know, whenever I get a chance to speak on cities, which is the topic I've been entrusted today, I, I always start off with this saying, God plants churches to reach cities. Now, whether you're a person of faith or not, I think everyone understands there should be some connection between everyone and their city. And yet sometimes for those of us, the people of faith, uh, you know, we, we kind of get it or we don't get it. And today I'm eager to just jump into the scriptures with you and show it. It's a big part of what the Bible talks about. In 2006, for the first time in my faith journey, I actually got assigned to do something outside of church property. That may sound crazy, but for my whole life, if anybody wanted the Jesus we talked about or anyone wanted to know about our faith, they had to come to our property. And for the first time, I stepped off church property and realized, wow, there's a whole world that I wasn't exposed to. There's some awesome people, nonprofits and government service. And I realized a lot of what they were doing are things that we should be doing. And so from that time, and then when I became pastor out of Valley Christian Center in 2008, I knew we had to do something in our city. And so I started an organization called CityServe of the Tri-Valley. Um, CityServe is just, it's one of those miracle stories that I, I, I'm just shocked that I'm still a part of. Since that time in 2008 and 9, when it was started, we have 25 churches that have partnered with us. We have 55 partners of nonprofits, schools, and businesses all three of the cities of Pleasanton, Livermore, and Dublin partner with us, as, long as, well, as well as Alameda County. There's two prisons in uh, Dublin that partner as well, as well as the Camp Parks military base. The stats for 2020, and 2020 was really a big challenge in the pandemic. In fact, we had the, both the county and the cities come to us, and because of our reputation of service, they said, we would really need your help in regards to serving people during this pandemic. And so we served 785 individuals. We assigned a care coordinator. And sometimes that takes hours or days just with one person. 113 people came out of the pandemic and helped us as crisis volunteers. 112 people that were homeless and had no place to go. We provided shelter during the pandemic. $1.7 million last year of donations came our way. And what's crazy to me, as a pastor in the San Francisco Bay Area, nearly a million dollars of funds from Alameda County and the three cities came our way to help people in crisis because they believed that the church's role in serving the city was so significant in our time. We have Catholics and evangelicals partnering together. We have bi-monthly community meetings. Through the network that we've created throughout all these years, we have I help people with housing, car relief, transportation, job training, paying some bills, debt relief, medical care, meals, getting furniture, school supplies, hospice care. 
I was just so shocked and humbled when in 2017, the city of Pleasanton said, you know what, this kind of faith-based organization that has been coalescing all these churches, they called us the nonprofit of the year. Then 2018, the city of Dublin did something similar. And what I love about CityServe, I've been part of churches that have serving days, but every day, 365 days a year, the people of faith are serving the people in our community. It's an astounding organization, and I love talking about cities, and that's what Pastor Samuel asked me in this faith series as we continue on in talking about building the faith. Two weeks ago, Pastor Samuel talked about the foundations of faith, and then Pastor Darren talked about the journey of faith, and I've known Darren for seven years, and I can tell you, that man has the gift of faith, and he operates in faith. It's almost like a sixth sense for him. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the city of faith. Now, that may sound like an unusual topic because a lot of times we don't connect cities to faith, but we're going to do that today, and I'm going to take you through a lot of texts. So I I call this message, The City of Faith, Can You See It? And my hope is this, that you will see the city of God and what God wants to do in our area before the end of this talk. I'm going to connect three concepts as we talk together. We're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about cities, but I'm also going to introduce this term grit. And I'm going to talk about gritty faith, which I'll give a definition coming up in a minute. So if you have your Bibles with me, and I encourage you to do that because I want you to see with me what the principles I'm getting out of the text. And when you read the Bibles later, you can go back and find these same points. So we're going to start off in Hebrews 11, as we've been doing the last previous weeks. We're going to go to Genesis 11 and 12, back to Hebrews 11, and then end up in Isaiah 65. I do want to give you what I call this way to understand the Bible. I love teaching the scriptures, and I've come to realize this. When we talk about cities in the Bible, they are not props. They are characters. I will show you in the text today that when the prophets and even Jesus himself speaks about city, he speaks to the city as if it has a soul. Our God is not in the business of just changing individuals. He's in the business of changing communities. And I believe if you hang with me through this message, something will stir in your spirit and you want to say, I want to join him in doing that. So as we start off today, I figured since today is the day that uh, American culture is celebrating movies and we're having the Oscars tonight, let me start off with one of my Oscar favorite movies, and that's the movie Rocky. I was just a young boy in 1977 when this movie came out of nowhere and surprised everyone. And everyone loved the character that Sylvester Stallone wrote about, not because of his athleticism or talent, but because of his grit. I mean, it was just every time when I go to the gym and I listen to that Gonna Fly Now music, it just inspires me and helps me to go farther and try to stay longer and do more than I think I could do. And that's what we have uh, when we talk about the Rocky movie. I I was just watching The Warriors this week and just showed me how significant that movie is in our culture when right before they went to a commercial, there's the Rocky statue, a a fictitious figure. It's a statue in the city of Philadelphia. And so um, we love grit. I mean, we love people who overcome the odds, that they they do something, uh, their tenacity, their determination. We love seeing it in our athletes. We love seeing our leaders or artists. We love seeing it in inventors. I remember when Malcolm Gladwell was writing his book, Outliers, there's a book in there, a chapter in there talking about the 10,000-hour rule. 
He was talking about both Bill Gates and the Beatles that they just weren't naturally talented. They had the grit to give 10,000 hours before they could rise to the level that any of us would call them successful or prominent in their skill. I am sure that you have somebody in your life that has grit for you, meaning that they won't give up. They keep persevering. They keep believing in you. We appreciate anyone that has grit. And that's what I find when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to read the text that I was assigned from Pastor Samuel, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. It starts off with these words, all these people. Now, I just want to pause right here. What we have here is a shift in the narrative. I, I always tell this when I teach Bible classes. This is the narrator's voice. The narrator is probably the most important voice in the entire Bible because every now and then when a story's going, they pause and they give us an interpretation or an understanding of what's going on here. And so all of a sudden they say, all these people, well, what people? In Hebrews 11 so far, we talked about Abel and Enoch, Noah, and especially Abraham. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Verse 13, it says, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Now, I call that a raw deal. I mean, if I say yes to God, I want to see the promises of God in my lifetime. I want to touch them. I want to feel them. I want to experience them. And yet, these people did not see the promise that came to them. And I have to pause and say, wow, that, that, that's a special kind of faith. That's what I call gritty faith. Let me, let me give you the definition of gritty faith or what I'll call generational faith. Gritty faith is enduring faith or faith that does not need to experience a promise to claim it as a promise. Now, I want you to think about that. Faith that doesn't need to experience a promise to claim it as a promise. Well, that's a big ask. I mean, when I said yes to Jesus, did I say yes to that, or did, do I have the ability to do that? When, it, when I think about that, my first question comes up, how does anyone, how does anyone get gritty faith? Well, the author tells us. Let's go back and look in the text, verse 14 of chapter 11. People who say such things shows that they're looking for a country, not their own. If they say they've been looking for a country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And then look at verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them his God or their God, for he has prepared what for them? A city for them. I mean, here we see gritty faith comes from seeing the city of God. Wow. Gritty faith comes from seeing the city of God. How how does one then get to that? Well, the best example to go through, and the author of Hebrews tells us about Abram or Abraham, as we call him later on as his name just changed. So I want you to go to Genesis chapter 12 with me, because I want us to figure out how did Abraham get this gritty faith? So in Genesis chapter 12, we are given probably the most significant promises in the Bible. I mean, these promises begin the nation of Israel. They start up the Messianic line. The very salvation that many of us as Christ followers endear and enjoy all started at this moment. And when I was in Bible school and seminary, we talked about it. We thought, you know, why did, let's say there's a million people on the planet at this time, why did Abram get the promises in Genesis 12? Was it some just cosmic lottery, uh, you know, lottery, or he just got the Willy Wonka ticket or whatever, and God just said picked him? Or, you know, I actually had professors tell me, well, God picked Abram because God picked Abram. It was just chance or sovereign choice. 
But I, I, I think there's a lot more there. In fact, if you look at the text and just go back a few verses in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 and 32, we, we learn something about the story of Abram that most people don't realize. First is, when you talk about Abram, we think he comes from, and the Bible always talks as he came from Ur, but we find him in Genesis 11 in this city called Haran. It's on its way to Canaan, but it's not there yet, and Pastor Darren talked about that last week. So he's in a, a different place than we would think he would be, and he's with, according to the text that we see in verse 31, he's with his father Terah, he's with his nephew Lot, he's with his wife Sarai, and um, he, other biblical writers say his other brother could have been there with him, Nahor, in regards to that. So this family is in a different place. Now the text does not tell us why Terah at that time took his family to a different city. We don't know if God inspired him to do that. We don't know if it was a job placement. We don't know, you know if they had a better opportunity over there. All we know is that we find themselves there and we find this group there. But what the text does tell us, and I call this the funeral that changed the world, in verse 32, Terah lived 205 years and then he died in Haran. During the pandemic, I lost my dad. And I will tell you this, um, when a parent dies, it alters your life. And all of a sudden, you feel a little bit empty and lost. And, you know, the patterns get disrupted. The holidays are different. And I, I want you to think with me, how did Abram feel when he lost his dad? I mean, here he is in a land that's not really his own. I mean, the text says that his wife can't have a child. He's with his brother and their family. And, and my thinking is this. I imagine he looked at himself and said, I think I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go back to Ur. Why would I stay in this land? Why would I stay here? I mean, why would I do any of that? But he doesn't go backwards. In fact, he goes forward to the promised land. Why would he do that? Why would he press forward? Well, I think it's connected to this insight that we see back in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 10, Abram was looking for a city whose foundations, whose architect, and whose builder was God. Now, where did Abram get the idea that such a city even existed? Well, once again, if you look at the text, Genesis 11, the story of Tower of Babel comes before Genesis 12, these beautiful promises that Abram gets. Why did the biblical authors put one story next to the other? In fact, I look at Genesis 11, I call it the city of man. In this city, it's a, there's a significant verse in Genesis 11:4. It talks about the city of man that has two characteristics. One is this. It was a group of people that gathered to make a name for themselves. They, they, were, they wanted to embellish human pride. They wanted to exalt themselves above everything else. They didn't want anything to do with God. And the second thing it says in chapter 11, verse 4, they did not want to be scattered. They were the people that said, we will not go. We will only stay. We will only come. I imagine Abram heard about this city of man called the Tower of Babel. I imagine he heard about how God judged them. I imagine he heard about how they exalted themselves, and he said, you know what? I want nothing to do with that. And somehow in his heart, he knew there was a city of God, and he says, I'm going to go find this city that God built the foundations, that he's the architect, that he's the builder. And so he goes forward into Canaan, and as he goes forward, God decides, now that is the type of person I want to use 
to usher in the messianic line. I as the type of person that I want to build a new nation around. That's the type of person I want to bring salvation to the world. God chose a city seeker. The city seeker of, of what God would build, that's the one who got all the promises. My friends, if you just go throughout the Bible, cities are so significant. Later on in Abram's story, we see that he's the intercessor for the city of Sodom. Jacob talks about and builds the city of prayer, Bethel. Moses creates cities of refuge to talk about when they go into the promised land for immigrants. Isaiah talks about a city of righteousness. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, they speak not just to the nation of Israel or Judah, they speak to all the surrounding nations and they speak to them as a soul, they speak to them as if they are living, they speak to them as if their choices have great consequences because God wants to reach out to them and they beg them to repent and reach back to him. Jeremiah is a city advocate. In fact, the entire book of Lamentations, he is just grieving over the loss of God's people in that city. Ezekiel is a watchman over the city, and as he closes his book, he talks about this heavenly city that's ta- that is talked about or given the title, the Lord is there. This is the very presence of God himself. Daniel is the city manager, and he combats spiritual forces that are somehow interacting with events and circumstances here on earth. Amos is a city prophet and a rebuilder of ruined cities. Jonah is the city hater, and I know you just did a series on him. Micah talks about the city of justice and mercy. Zechariah talks about the city of truth. Ezra is the city priest. Nehemiah is the city builder. Jesus is a city prophet. What's interesting, when you write and go into the Apostle Paul, he never writes any letters to a church, do you notice? He only writes letters to a city. And even when we get to Revelations, it opens up to all the churches there are not called by any denominational name or any attribute name. They're all called by city names. And even heaven itself is declared as a heavenly city. My friends, this whole concept of cities is all throughout the scriptures. And I believe the biblical writers are saying, do you see the city of God? Because according to Hebrews, if we see the city of God, we can step into that faith that Abram had, that gritty faith. Isaiah 65. Let me just kind of close this talk by giving you a visualization of God's city. I want you to think about it with me as you turn to Isaiah 65, 19 to 25. If God had a chance to build a city, what would he do with it? How would he treat it? How, what, would, what would God want to see in it? I think this is such an important question. We personalize our faith so much, we think about, what do I get? But I want to tell you, as I open up the scriptures, I see God saying, I just don't want to touch individuals. I want to transform communities. So let's look at the city that God would build. In Isaiah 65, verse 19, he, the prophet writes these words, speaking uh, of what God says, I will create uh, Jerusalem to be delight." and it's people of joy. So God's looking for a city that has happiness and life and satisfaction. Verse 20, it says, Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies a hundred will be thought a mere youth, and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. In God's city, there is the value of health and longevity. 
Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat their fruit. In God's city, what we see is housing and food and financial well-being. Verse 21 again, it says, my chosen ones will live long enough and they will have the work of their hands will prosper so that in God's city, he cares about meaningful employment. Verse 23, it says, they will not toil or vain or build children or, or be doomed to misfortune. So in God's city, there's upward mobility and there's the opportunity to grow. In verse 23, it talks about they and their descendants will be with them. So in God says, in his cities, families and generations matter and should be mingling together. Verse 24, before I call them, they will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. There is a spiritual connection. That there's a connection to God in the city that he creates. And then verse 25, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. They will neither harm nor destroy one another on God's holy mountain. There's reconciliation. There's the absence of violence. My friend, I think it's a time for us to think about the city God wants to build right here in San Ramon, right here in Dublin. I believe God wants to see every child have a parent, every widow have a covering, the poor having an opportunity, the prisoner having a future, the elderly are revered, a place where God is invited and his presence is respected if not revered of a place where the vulnerable have an advocate, a place where the immigrant is included. My friends, I would ask you to begin to see the city. I believe that part of our faith, part of what it means to follow Jesus, is to have some connection to the city, and our faith eyes have to go beyond what I get from this transaction of Jesus on the cross. It goes into this, that God wants to do something in the world, and he wants to do it through you and I. My friend, I, I do have a dream for the church, Christ Church. I, I see a church where there's more emphasis on serving than the services we do. I see a church that puts the same vision that some of us do for India and Africa and South America. We do it for San Ramon and Dublin and Pleasanton and Livermore. I see a church that when Jesus says go, the people take him seriously and literally. And we go to our neighbors and our coworkers and those that are just right here. I see a church that doesn't see the nonprofits and governments as something not spiritual, but something that as we read our scriptures, they're actually many times leading the way to show the heart of God in our community. And we don't need to recreate what they're doing. We just need to partner and bless and serve them as they're doing it. I see a church where Jesus is not just spoken about, but he is seen through acts of compassion through his people. I see a church where the reputation of Jesus is magnified because his people are not just hovering on a piece of property or in a meeting, but they're out in the city in force, serving people and doing acts of mercy. And they see mercy as something significant enough that even if you don't accept my Jesus, you're still worthy of care, compassion, resources, and service. I see a church that gives up on all these bickering conversations that really don't go anywhere, and all these debates over things that really don't matter. And they see the secret sauce that we can all do together. We can debate so much in the church, but we should never debate this fact. 
that in every city there are people God cares about and he wants them to be served. I often tell people this and it's changed my life. I don't pastor a church. I pastor a city. That one belief has transformed my whole ministry philosophy and opened up doors and more miracles than I can tell you on this talk right here. I ask as uh, we just conclude this time together that you would just consider again the connection between your faith and the city. And what's really great about that, I think we already knew that connection was there, but according to the author of Hebrews, if you start seeing the city of God and you start dreaming what God wants to do to bring his kingdom to this earth, it will actually affect your faith. It will give you the tenacity. It'll give you the perseverance. You may find yourself stepping into gritty faith because it will help you to endure the challenges that are before you. Thank you for letting me share today. God bless you. Look forward to more future partnerships and love and appreciate both your pastors and what Brave does for this community. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.